I would challenge anyone listening to this, say, make sure you, A, you know who your best customer really is. B, understand what their problem is, real, what their challenge is. And, and, and don't just do the obvious. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics, and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome to episode 83. Today, we're talking about rethinking trade shows and dialing in your value proposition. Our guest this week is Jose Palomino, the CEO of Value Prop. Jose works with B2B business owners to unlock new growth by helping them ensure their value proposition actually aligns with their biggest challenge their ideal customers are facing and making sure there's a sales process and delivery to support that. He's also the author of a book under the same name, Value Prop, host of the Revenue Throughput podcast, and teaches MBA courses at Villanova focused on management and entrepreneurial marketing. Given his vast background, let's dial this in. Here are a couple things you can expect from this episode. First, we'll get to hear about Jose's background and spend a ton of time discussing a few concepts that I think are really going to resonate with this audience. Jose will cover some of the mistakes manufacturers make when it comes to their value proposition, why manufacturers should capitalize on the things that give them a, quote, marginal advantage, and he'll give us some examples of the types of conversations to have with your customers and sales teams to really unlock new revenue growth. In the latter half of the interview, we get specific about a couple things manufacturers struggle with, including what to do when your most tenured salesperson leaves or retires, and some smart ways to adjust your trade show strategy so that your investment goes further. As always, you can access anything we talk about like Jose's book or his podcast over at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 83. And of course, if you're enjoying this show, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. It doesn't need to take long. It can just be a couple sentences. Hitting that five-star button is super easy, and it's even easier to get there. You just need to go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes, and it'll take you straight there on your desktop or on your iPhone. And with that, we're going to head just outside of Philly for this one to meet up with Jose Palomino. All right, Jose, it's great to have you here recording this virtually today, but I have to ask if we were having this conversation over a drink in person, where might that be? Wow, that'd probably be my favorite sushi place near where I live. I'm uh, in uh, Newtown Square, which is the Burbs outside of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And it's a, little, it's a place that's been around for a long time, right on the highway called uh, Taikaiku. They do really great sushi and a nice uh, Corona with a twist of lime and uh, some sushi at the sushi bar would be great. Love it. I'm a big fan of a lager sushi pairing. So let's say we're hanging out there. We're biting into some Philadelphia rolls for lack of a lack of a better roll right now. Yeah, since you're outside, <laughs> you're, yeah, outside, sure. you're outside of Philly. So it seemed appropriate. So we're biting into some Philadelphia rolls, drinking Coronas, drinking lagers. And uh, and I ask you, you know, you're kind of a jack of all trades in marketing. You've got a lot of things you've done in the sales world. How do you describe what you do if you're having a beer and sushi with someone? Oh, yeah, that's, you know, it's a great question. And, and it, you know, usually the kiss of death is the jack of all trades 
label on somebody who's a specialist. But, you know, what I focus on, what I really and what we as a firm specialize on, uh, if you were an owner of a business, it, like you're my target. It's not your business. It's you. You as an owner to help you run a growth business. And most mm -hmm. owners that we talk to would be in that like two to $20 million range in B2B. Okay. So they're not big enough yet where they have a lot of executive staff with all the background. The owner's still the one hands on the steering wheel managing things. So the first thing we say is we help you assess your business, understand what's working, what's not, mm -hmm. develop a strategy and plan for growth, and then help you operationalize that plan. Uh, we don't do implementation, so we're not going to build your website. We're not going to do your SEO campaign. We're on the owner's side of that table as we look at those service providers that you might need. And that's something owners are very ill-equipped and not because they're not smart. They're very smart at what they do. But the reality is the whole marketing stack, uh, mm -hmm. marketing sales process has become incredibly complex. You know, MarTech st stacks and, and you know, are you integrating your acuity with your Zoom, with your CRM, you know? Are, and it's like, you know, hair on fire moments when, when, you, when you ask those type of questions, say, well, let's break it down to basics. Do you know why someone should buy X from you at Y price? Can you yeah. answer that succinctly? And that's where we start our conversation, our relationship. So over beer, that's what I would ask somebody who was asking me what we do. We help you answer that question. And then all that that spirals out of that answer yeah. to actually make it real in the real world. Yeah. And, and I want to get to that here in a second, but I want to get to know you a little bit first because you have you have an impressive track record in sales and marketing now, but you had to start somewhere. So I want to go back in your story. Where did where did sales and marketing really start to click for you or where were some of the earlier realizations that allowed you to start doing what you do now? Well, you know, it's interesting. I started in back office operations on Wall Street so mm -hmm. just and became a supervisor of a bunch of accountants. So everything not sales and marketing. Okay. But, it, and, and by the way, and not to completely date myself, but doing spreadsheets on physical spreadsheets. Okay. This is, yeah. you know, that's what we started. So had a real appreciation for all of that, but I had a, a thought. And at the time I was also an avid comic book collector. Mm. And I said, gee, you know, I would like to save some money on comic books. I have to go to the comic book store, buy comics and so on. And by mail, the only options were subscriptions from the publishers, which would be like Time Magazine rolled up in your mailbox with a label stuck on the cover, mm -hmm. completely the opposite of collecting. So we came up with a, a company called the Mint Delivery System. Mm. And what we did is you could subscribe in advance, tell us what you want to order. We'd buy it wholesale. We'd package it in a box with a bag, with the actual collector's bag. And it arrived perfectly. We meant delivery, right? That was the yeah. idea. And we gave you a discount. So two things. One, it highlighted that at that point in my young life, I knew nothing about business. Mm -hmm. I knew nothing about how to make money in a business. Uh, I learned all the wrong things, right? So just getting sales, but not getting them profitably enough wasn't sustainable. But through that experience, I actually bought a PC Mm -hmm. And set up the database system. And at that okay. point, they weren't the third-party packages today. I had to do this the hard way. I bought a database application, taught myself how to program. And that got me into the sale, into the technology space, which mm. eventually led to me going into sales and marketing roles. So that's kind of the genesis started with comic books, of all things. 
Well, I have, I have to ask you then, what was your go-to comic? What were your favorite series? <laughs> oh, oh, you know, it's probably um, there's an artist. He's still active, uh, but at the time he was groundbreaking. A guy named Neil Adams. Okay. And he did uh, he did cinematic layouts. I mean, they were really today. A lot of people have copied it, but at the yeah. time it was really groundbreaking. And so he did things like, you know, like Batman, Green Lantern, X-Men. Mm-hmm. That just was a different experience. Even though I was a kid, I was a young kid at that time. Um, it it opened my eyes to possibilities, creative possibilities. And, and and people say, well, how did you go from like back office operations and comic books? You know, where does mm-hmm. that, how does that turn into sales and marketing? And, and the answer to that is it really appealed to my creative sense. Sure. You know, I even went to, uh, I, I started going into commercial art. I thought I wanted to be an artist. I thought I might be a comic book artist. Then I got into business. And then I found as I got entrepreneurial, although that first venture with the comics wasn't successful, um, what happened was I found that that desire to create was really satisfied in an entrepreneurial context. Mm-hmm. The idea that I could take my ideas and put them down somewhere and they could actually make a difference was actually all the genesis of that is all the way back to that story as a kid, you know, in the summer by you know excitedly with a bag of like 15 new comic books to read that afternoon uh that was the same it's really the same thread so it's many many decades later uh but that thread of being creative of of looking at a problem and saying how else do we solve this Hmm. that creative process is still very much alive in me well uh, in the line of looking at problems saying how do we solve this let's let's go to the present day a bit more so in that first question when we were having sushi at the bar we were talking about how you're helping owners enable a growth enterprise right so i'd love to hear maybe we start off with what what's one of the common mistakes you're seeing owners make when it comes to sales and marketing like let's start there and let's go into the things that can help them out after that sure so the, the most the most common I mean there's there's quite a number of them but mm-hmm. the most uh, one that's a glaringly um, fatal flaw a, re- a high risk flaw for a lot of companies in the sub ten million dollar range especially in manufacturing or contract manufacturing is they're overly customer concentrated meaning they have one or two very big accounts mm-hmm. and what happens is they think that, like that big account is super important to them. Mm-hmm. But they are not super important to that big account. Yeah. So that big account every year, they're asking them for another three, four or five basis points to continually squeeze down margins. At some point, they realize, gee, we're actually shipping money out the door every time we ship to this. So let's have a conversation with them because they must love us. Right. So they, mm-hmm. they, they sit down with the big corporate you know, behemoth, their purchasing department. Say, we really can't hit that next mark on price because after all, you don't want us going out of business. And what they end up hearing is something that sounds like this. Wow, that really does sound like a you problem. And the, sorry, we won't be able to continue doing business. And you go, well, wait a second. We've been doing business for 10 years. We're like trusted partners, aren't we? Yeah. Go, yeah. Well, that may have been my predecessor. But by the way, my company is turning over purchasing people every two years. So we don't get mm-hmm. attached to anybody. It really works. Right. And we're going to find the next supplier who's going to hit our price point. Mm-hmm. So that customer concentration says that you're actually dead man walking. If your business listening to this right now, if you're saying your business is more than, let's say, 40 percent dependent on one account. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying fire the account. The, the answer is not. That's one way to get rid of customer concentration. Get rid of your big <laughs> account. Yeah. Not the smart way. 
But then you have to think about, okay, can I diversify within that account? Are there other departments that I can go to that can buy from us? And you have to actually continually grow your business so that mm -hmm. when the inevitable comes where they ask you to hit a price point, you cannot hit. And if you're a 10, $15 million company, you can't be the low cost provider because mm -hmm. you're not the low cost buyer. Mm -hmm. You can't buy steel cheaper than the other guys. You can't yeah. buy services cheaper than the other guys. You're stuck in a real between a rock and a hard place. Meanwhile, this multinational can source that product anywhere on the planet Earth that hits mm -hmm. their price point. Mm -hmm. So you have to. And then the other thing that goes with that is, are you extending your value to that customer? Real value. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. what else are you doing that would be irreplaceable? Uh, it's, if it's just shipping the part they asked for to spec and you're not able to find ways to add either engineering value add, other maybe the way you package the orders so they arrive and reduces their cost of handling on their end, something that is not commodity. Yeah. But, so the number one thing is letting yourself become a commodity mm -hmm. to too much of too many of your customers, which leaves you very exposed. You're always fighting the price game. Your margins are always being squeezed. It's it's a it's a death spiral that you may not feel it right at the moment, but you'll feel it inevitably. And it's and it's a tough transition. So the mistake being when you're overly focused on one or two or three key customers, you can be you risk becoming a commodity. And I feel like this ties in with some other things that that I've heard you say where and, and, and maybe this is one of the central aspects of, of value prop. And I think your overall message, but correct me if I'm wrong. You talk about how important it is to know your best customer and the best problem that you solve for them correct? Like having some, like knowing what your true value is to that customer. And it sounds like a lot of people miss understanding what the main thing they do to help their customer is. Is that on the right track? Oh, that's absolutely on the right track. And I'd say that's a very common, uh, a common occurrence. Mm -hmm. I, I rarely run into a customer at that size that has a razor sharp value proposition. I mean, I mm -hmm. wouldn't have a business if that were true, unfortunately, but just the way it is. <laughs> yeah. no, here, and, and it's not just, you know, it's not just my, like my hobby horse. It's, it's a real sure. thing. It's like saying, okay, it, do you understand who your best customer really is? Mm -hmm. Well, we have a lot of customers in different industries and so on. And whoever can use our, you know, we do electron beam welding. So whoever can, mm -hmm. can hire us and so on. I said, I get that. But, but, if you had to make a top 10 list of your 10 favorite customers, then let's understand why they're your favorite. It could be because of how they behave toward you. It could be their size. It could be the kind of problems they challenge you with. Uh, it could be the, the kind of things they request of you is really in your sweet spot. The better aligned you are, and here's the thing, if you're like that 10, 15, 20, $30 million company, the world is your oyster. I mean, you're, you don't have, you have like 0.01% market share of whatever it is you're doing if you mm -hmm. look at it from like the U.S. market, even if you're a super regional, you sell very heavy things that have to get shipped, let's say, on the East Coast or Midwest or the West Coast. Either mm -hmm. way, your growth potential is is enormous. Mm -hmm. I know you interviewed uh, Darren Mitchell, for example, who's mm -hmm. in Prince, Prince Edwards Islands, and yeah. I interviewed him for my podcast as well. And it's fascinating. You know, he had a, he inherited a machine shop in a place that has every cost disadvantage of material being shipped to the island and, and finished goods being shipped off the island. And yet he he blew that company up and then eventually had success a successful exit. Mm -hmm. That is exciting. And, and then when you ask him, he says, because we took on the work that no one else wanted to do. We took on the more complex work, mm -hmm. the things that required a lot of, of process on it. So I would challenge anyone listening to this, say, make sure 
you a you know who your best customer really is b mm -hmm. understand what their problem is real what their challenge is and 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 don't just do the obvious well they buy welded rods from us great mm -hmm. but why do they need those welded rods what else does that mean you know what's happening in their business uh if you're selling to somebody in agriculture or somebody in uh, in in pharmaceuticals or medical supplies anything happening in the world that might be important you know like stuff like that you just got to get tuned into so you become more relevant to them it's mm -hmm. a slow process but it's a definite journey you have to take or else you'll always be on a three bid and only winning if you happen to be the low-cost provider at that moment in time and never really become a growth company or even a particularly profitable company one one i'm glad you brought up darren first of all because i've got a, a scenario i want to weave him into and for anyone listening darren mitchell episode 76 of manufacturing happy hour only released a couple months ago so uh we'll get into that in a second but something you just brought up made me think of a term you referred to as marginal advantage before as well i think mm. i heard you mention that manufacturers often don't capitalize on one of the things they're doing best that is a huge part of their value proposition can you go into that a little bit more and explain that Sure, that, that's very much at the heart of how we work with owners, right? We, 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 we assume if they're still standing, they're doing mm -hmm. some things right. Mm -hmm. We don't go mm -hmm. into it thinking, oh, you guys are knuckleheads. You don't know what you're doing. No, I, yeah. I have great respect for owners. If you built a company from scratch and you took it to 15 million, that's not a small feat. You mm -hmm. did something important. You employed 35 people. Uh, you've been able to take care of your family for the last 10 years and you and you are providing an important service to people who think it's important enough to give you $15 million. So I don't minimize any of those things. In mm -hmm. fact, I assume you're doing some really good things well. Yeah. What I also know, however, is that it's highly likely that some things you're doing well, that maybe because you were doing something to improve something operationally, mm -hmm. you were trying to cut back on overtime or you were trying to improve uh, you know, uh, the up hours on your major machines, things like that. Mm -hmm. Those things could actually be very important things to your customer if mm -hmm. they knew about it. Mm -hmm. So what ends up happening is a lot of times these uh, owner operators have good things going on, but no one knows about it. Mm -hmm. And they don't think mm -hmm. it's important or relevant. And I'm thinking, well, you know what? If you're doing something for your risk mitigation, to make sure your uptime, like you've you've instituted some new ISO process, uh, uh, documented procedures on preventive maintenance, and you've reduced downtime per machine by 70%, your biggest customers want to hear that. Yeah, That's actually important news to them. They want to know, and it, and it says so much about you. And, yeah. and it goes back to marginal advantage, right? So the, the example we love to use is Usain Bolt. Mm -hmm. uh, I have no relationship with Usain other than he's the best named athlete ever, right? Mm -hmm. So like the fastest human on the planet. Lightning quick. Lightning yeah. quick, right? <laughs> Literally a bolt. Yeah. And But he wins even as fast and as dominant as he is. He wins consistently, but he doesn't lap the field. It's a 100-meter dash, and the second-place and third-place runners are literally like a blink of an eye behind him. Mm -hmm. He's just that blink of an eye ahead. Occasionally, he'll get like two strides ahead of them. But they're all like fast humans. These are like elite runners in the world. But he wins. And here's what happens when he wins. And this is so exciting to me. And I really want anyone listening to this who's involved in sales, marketing, especially in commoditized categories, to really heed this. When Usain Bolt wins his race, mm -hmm. 
and he stands on the dais waiting for his medal. He gets the whole gold medal. Mm-hmm. They don't say, well, listen, you're saying you only won by 0.0 seconds. So we're going to shave off a little bit of that gold and just give you a part of the medal. He gets the whole medal. And when we're in competitive bids, we just have to be, and you know, it's kind of the, the old saw about the, if you're in the, in the forest with a friend and you're being chased by a bear, how fast do you have to run? And it's just faster than your friend, right? It's the same kind of principle. Mm-hmm. If you're running this race to win business, you have to have at least some marginal advantages. We call it a competitive edge. Mm-hmm. over your competition to be yeah. awarded the deal. And then you get the whole deal. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to think, gee, how do we take our $15 million manufacturing company and turn it into the next Apple? Mm-hmm. Chances mm-hmm. are you're not going to turn it into the next Apple. Just mm-hmm. not, you know, Apple is Apple for a series of very unique, great decisions made over a series of time, backed up by a ton of venture capital, like hundreds and hundreds of millions mm-hmm. of dollars venture capital and their own success that they could do that same with microsoft and so on those aren't good examples in these categories better is to say how do i get from 15 to 20 Mm -hmm. how do i get from 7 to 10 those are realistic next jumps and what you need is to win more consistently and what you need to win consistently is an edge and that edge could actually be a small thing as long and this is the the big the big thought Mm -hmm. as long as that small thing is important to your best customer, it can actually be the edge you need to win that race. We'll be right back, right after a word from our sponsor. Are you looking for an industry event that's the true intersection of today's advanced manufacturing technologies? Well, that event is IME West taking place April 12th through 14th, 2022 in Anaheim, California. And here are three of the reasons why I think you should join me at this show. First, you can connect with top suppliers and technology vendors. This is the spot to connect with folks that are ready to help you with your product development needs. Second, build your knowledge. IME West features everything from industry deep dives to emerging technology insights. They're educational offerings for everyone, whether you're in engineering or over in the C-suite. Finally, grow your network. Connect with manufacturing leaders, subject matter experts, and more at the largest annual gathering of the advanced manufacturing community. Whether you're in automation, med tech, plastics, or manufacturing design, people from all of these spaces will be at IME West. And yes, I'm excited to be attending as well. If you want to join me in Anaheim, California, April 12th through 14th, then head over to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash IME West for more information and to register today. I hope to see you there. And now, back to today's episode. So how do we, uh, to, to put a bow around this part of the conversation, what's an easy piece of advice we can give manufacturers to start making this shift, right? Because it's almost like what they're telling their customers, what they think their value proposition is, actually isn't part of the time when really they already have their value proposition. They're just not promoting that or mentioning that. How do we get people to start making that flip? I think there's, there's, there's a couple of ways at it, but one of the simplest things, and it's amazing to me that this doesn't get done regularly, like just SOP, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's for the owner. It can't be the head of sales. It can't be some uh, uh, delegated person. It has to be the owner. You pick up the phone and you get into a conversation with your best customers 
people that you think like you, love you, trust you now. Yep. And you say, you don't say, what are we doing wrong? That's mm -hmm. the wrong question. Instead, say, hey, what do you wish we did? What do you wish we did? Because that will highlight other possibilities that they, and when they tell you, we wish you did X, chances are they're hitting on something that no one's doing. Mm, That's what yeah. they wish for it, right? Mm -hmm. It's a very positive thing. Mm -hmm. And you may, it may resonate, it may hit right with something you're already doing well. Mm -hmm. And don't sell at that point. Just say, okay, great. Thanks for the input. But now you have a hook on something that would be really valuable to an owner. You say, gee, and when you talk to your leadership team, you say, everybody raises their hand and say, we're doing that now. Yeah, but we're not telling anybody. So yeah. that's what we highlight. So your best customers, what you wish you, that's one thing you could do. The other mm -hmm. is simply sitting with your team and ask this question. And this is really critical that as an owner, you shut up after you ask the question and mm -hmm. listen to the answer. Mm -hmm. or the answers because if you don't shut up what ends up happening is people are going to say okay waiting for the cue to see what you want them to say and you don't learn anything and here's the question you ask your team what do you think is missing from what we're doing what do you think is missing mm -hmm. and chances are they've been beat up on service calls they've been beat up on sales calls why don't you guys do this you send this in the big pallet we wish you could break it into small pallets it's as simple as that we yeah. wish you labeled it more clearly your invoice is horrible to read through. We never understand what you do. Uh, your visibility to production, you, you know, we order 24 units and also in 12 arrive, six arrive, five. We don't know when things are going to arrive. Mm -hmm. Whatever's missing, your people will tell you. And those are real opportunities to look at, to, to, to find kind of nooks and crannies where you can create more value, usually with small adjustments. And the last thing, and this is one of my favorites uh, to tell people, is to fix the number one customer complaint. Yeah. That's the stuff that vexes customers, right? Mm -hmm. Not aspirational anymore. Now it's not aspirational. It's stuff they actually mm -hmm. complain about, that mm -hmm. they're actually telling you about. And here's how it sounds often, all too often. You know, these guys, I don't know what they think, asking us for this. Mm -hmm. Or these guys, we can never satisfy them. You know, or these guys are unreasonable. Well, if it's a lot of these guys, then there's a problem. And Think about, and, and, and here's the beauty. If you whiteboard this, and you might think, well, we have a lot. We'll never fix everything. Mm -hmm. You'll all of a sudden find that points one, three, seven, and nine are the same point. Just yeah. set a different way. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it, what I thought was interesting about that is you're talking voice of customers from two different perspectives. Getting it directly from the customers. Also getting it from, let's say, the sales team that's serving those customers. So one's external. One's internal. I love the point of like the incremental improvements, right? It makes it easier to buy it off. It's not telling anyone to transform their company. It's saying, hey, just adjust, adjust the dial a little bit. So great advice across the board. I have some very specific questions here in, in the later part of the interview. And, and we're going to talk about our friend Darren Mitchell again here okay. because in Manufacturing Masters, Jose, if I remember right, you did a video around your number one salesperson is about to leave. Now what? And for the manufacturing leaders missing the show, that listening to the show, that's a common thing they run into, right? It's like, what happens when our best salesperson leaves or often retires? Um, you know, how do, what, what, maybe paint the picture of what you do from everything we've talked about so far on how you help people address that issue, right? Because that's a common one that our audience faces. Yeah. So often, my best salesperson leaves might be my most tenured salesperson leaves or might be mm -hmm. like Joe's been with me for 20 years and he's retired. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, I'm not belittling Joe's contributions. I'm simply mm -hmm. saying 
maybe is not that amazing. Mm. And maybe it was, you know, there are other factors involved. So I would take a step back before running out and saying, oh, you know, the, you have, you have uh, people on your team bringing resumes now because they have a friend who's over here or, or you may know somebody and you want to jump to fill that gap. Mm-hmm. I say, take a look at your process. Like, mm-hmm. do you understand Joe's sales process? Chances mm-hmm. are, if Joe's been doing this for 20 years, his sales process is kind of very uh, informal. Mm-hmm. It's not documented. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's Joe's you know, magic box. Because especially in a very small company where there's only Joe, mm-hmm. Joe's not sharing with anybody, never been asked, as long as he brings in the purchase orders, we're sure. fine. Yeah. But really understanding the sales process and, and understanding that sales, or let me say it differently, purchasing, Mm-hmm. has radically changed in all of business in the last 10 years and it's accelerating and the buyers in the, in the driver's seat in a significant way and they're looking at information differently so before when joe started 20 years ago or or even longer who knows uh, he was the person who had to bring the information mm-hmm. about the category about the equipment about whatever you sold yeah. Today, the buyer is expecting to get that information on the web. And if they invite you to a call, it's because they've already decided that you might be on the short list. So that's a different process. So before you replace Joe or think you need to clone Joe, really break down what is our actual sales process? How do we start from how do we generate a lead? How do we cultivate that lead? What what, for example, do we always have to do a demo? Mm-hmm. Do we always have to do a site visit? Do we always have to give references? Is this always being asked? Because you can you can actually streamline that process once you understand it. And chances are you'll look back and you'll say, I really don't know how Joe does what he does. He's just like a good salesperson. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Mm-hmm. But until you break down the process, you don't know what you're really looking to fill. And the other thing is you're often, and I've seen this definitely in manufacturing, big time, an overemphasis and I know this is like heretical, but an overemphasis on technical knowledge. Mm-hmm. What they really mm-hmm. want is an engineer who mm-hmm. can talk engineering because that's that, and that's useful if you have like mm-hmm. an engineering type who can talk engineering. Yeah. But I, I'd always, I'd rather bet on somebody who knows how to sell and manage relationships, account deals, and you know the 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 kind of the project management of a modern deal today. And you can backfill that person with your engineers, and they don't. They should be comfortable in technical areas, but they don't have to be a degreed engineer to sell for you. Yeah. Um, and I would just broaden your scope of thinking that it doesn't have to be that person. There's other ways to get there that might give you more sales productivity. I liked that you focused in on technical versus sales, right? And focusing on sales process, because I think, so, you know, as someone that's been in the industrial sales world for for over 10 years myself, I think a common issue I see is when a new product rolls out or something like that, people think, oh, I need to know every technical aspect about this if I'm going to be able to sell it, right? It's like, no, you don't need to know that. You need to know the how to ask the right questions to Absolutely. understand the pain behind it. So um, I've, I've felt that before in, in my space. Um, so great example around, you know, what happens when your most tenured salesperson is about to leave, right? Another area that I see manufacturers struggle with is trade shows, right? Uh, you know, in terms of getting value out of their trade show spend. And I know this is another area you focused in as well. So maybe let's start with paint the picture of the common trade show scenario that a manufacturer makes, right? And then let's talk into some of the tactics on maybe how you can rethink that. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. So this is an area where for a small manufacturer, whether you're an OEM or you do contract manufacturing services. Um, and again, let's let's assume we're talking pre-COVID and a world that's post-COVID where people still want to go to Vegas or Chicago McCormick Center and gather. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think that will go away completely. So you really scrimp and save and you say, OK, we're going to we're going to have a booth. Well, if you're in that like five, 10, 15 million dollar range, your booth is probably um, you know, a 10 by 10 and chances are on a major show floor, you're going to be near the men's room. Yeah. Facing um, the wrong direction as well. Facing the wrong direction well. exactly. <laughs> and, and so you, you bring out like four or five people on your team. You're going to spend three days there. And before you know it, you, you just blew through $75,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, it just between booth fees and travel and so on. And that's a lot of money. That's in fact, that's like half your whole marketing budget for the year. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. it comes down to. And you do that two or three times a year. And before you know it, it's like, it's real money. And it didn't. And, and then here's the question, like, okay, what leads, what opportunities can you point to that's come from your last five years of going to trade shows? Mm-hmm. And I ask that question all the time. And usually the answer is, no, I, I think we, do, we we get some things. And, and it's a little different if you sell a branded machine and you're a true OEM, you make a machine that solves a particular problem and mm-hmm. you need to demo the machine. That's true. But there's other ways to get there. So I say, if you're on the earlier side where you're still trying to grow your business and that kind of budget is daunting, say, well, think of it differently. What if you sent three people out and you gave them a budget, an entertainment budget, like you go to Vegas, there's Cirque du Soleil, there's Morton's and so on. Mm -hmm. And you know who's going to be there. You have a pretty good idea who's going to be there. Mm -hmm. So instead of hoping for a 90 second conversation with a potential buyer who then says, oh, is that your brochure? And you go, yes proudly thinking he wants your brochure doesn't want your mm-hmm. brochure it's a way to shorten the conversation and move on to the next booth mm-hmm. he grabs your brochure puts it in the bag by the way that bag will never see the plane yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> okay that's very typical instead you reach out to somebody say look we're going to be at the show you know pack expo or whatever yeah and uh you know you you've been on our on our radar somebody we think we should do business with would you be open to uh, for us to just break bread over uh, dinner and ste- uh, mm-hmm. you know, steaks and, and whatever at Morton's? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, guess what? They have to eat dinner mm-hmm. and a free dinner, a vendor provided dinner at Morton's. If I'm not otherwise engaged, why not? Now, you can't make that call the week before the show. You mm-hmm. set that up well in advance. Yeah. The other thing is, if it's a big enough prospect and somebody you've done some business with before, say, look. Hey, I just I just snagged two tickets to Cirque du Soleil. It's really an incredible show. Mm-hmm. Would you like to go? You know, we can we can do that and get drinks afterwards and and uh, you know see what's up. And all of a sudden, you use that limited budget. You probably spend less than half what you would have spent for that ten by ten pointed in the wrong direction next mm-hmm. to the men's room. Yeah. And now you get three, four, five, six meaningful meetings. Yeah. That actually move the ball forward. A whole different way of looking at trade shows and a much more realistic approach for small companies where the budget is a, is an issue. Mm-hmm. It's a way to stair step there to see what's really going on. I'm interested to get your take on this. I was at a trade show in Orlando, oh gosh, like three or so months ago, right? And one of the vendors there would throw a happy hour every night, like a branded happy hour in the penthouse suite at one of the nearby hotels. So, I mean, that's maybe more of a catch-all approach per se than a concentrated approach like you're 
you're demonstrating, but I mean, I, I assume you've seen this work before, right? You've talked to vendor, vendors and companies that are like, yeah, I went to the trade show, didn't buy a booth, but we did XYZ activity with XYZ customer outside of it and got a much better return. Well, because you think about it, you, you get an hour with somebody, mm -hmm. um, you're doing something very nice, very dramatic, right? Morton's mm -hmm. is dramatic. You know, it's a $500 dinner. Um, you know, tickets to a show would be, you know, whatever, $400. Don't, don't get the nosebleed seats, get decent seats you know, yeah, or a yeah. game or something yeah. like that. Now, again, those things build relationships. They don't necessarily turn into, and I walked out of there with a PO, but you're much mm -hmm. further down the, the consideration road. You've learned a lot because you're going to learn. You do intelligence gathering. You're going to learn a lot about how they how they buy. What are their criteria? What's important to them? You don't mm -hmm. pitch. You you learn what problems and challenges are you facing. Hmm, that's interesting. It, mm -hmm. You pick up all this information, yeah. and you build deep relationships. And my point is, it's more realistic as a spend. You get mm -hmm. more bang for the buck than doing something poorly or something mm -hmm. that's just of low impact. And that's the counterpoint. Again, if you have a, a brand new machine to demonstrate and you want to go all in, even there, though, I would say don't just expect the booth to do the work for you. Mm -hmm. You have to do the homework. And here's the other very quick yep. things on trade shows. Mm -hmm. Call in advance. Don't just send them an email. Say we're going to be at booth 8417. Yeah. Who cares? They just got yep. their email is full with those. It's a phone call. It yeah. maybe is a personal letter. It's a yeah. letter with an invitation. Whatever it is, you want to get them to the booth to see your new machine, your Dynex mm -hmm. 9000 or whatever that new machine is. Yeah. The second thing is, what are you doing when you get back home? Yeah. Don't wait till you get back home to think about, uh, should we send people something? What kind of thank you note? Should we draft it? That? Yeah, let's meet on Tuesday. Yeah. And, and guess what happens? It's three weeks later. It's kind of like never sending that thank you note to Aunt Sally for that wedding present. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You get to the point where now you're embarrassed to see Aunt Sally at a family event because you just yeah. know you blew it. Yeah. Have that stuff lined up. If you're going to send something, pack it, whatever, you should have all of that already printed, ready to go. So when you arrive back from Vegas, from Chicago, mm -hmm. from Orlando, you're ready to that Monday, bang, things are going out there. Whatever it is that you think your next steps are. Well, Jose, what, what I heard is it goes back to a lot of the things that you mentioned earlier, right? It's like having that process, right? You're not winging it this whole time. You have a process before, during, and after the show already lined out before you do any of this. So I, uh, a, a, you've offered a lot of great, very specific advice to a lot of the common problems that I think our audience sees that, that listens to this show. I'm going to ask you how to connect with you after the show's over, but to go to mirror one of your questions over uh, early from earlier, you know, you're asking customers, you know, what do you wish we did? Well, I have a question for you. What do you wish I would have asked you that I haven't yet as we get to the end of this conversation? Well, I, I you know, I think one thing that that is not it, it can be seen as soft and squishy, but what are, are what is the role of values? Culture mm -hmm. on winning in this manufacturing space. And so if I could treat that as a question, uh, I think I think there's a, there's a really big opportunity uh, if you sell, in, the more you can sell to a human being. So if you're selling to a very big organization, your value statement and your culture is less important to them because it's a procurement agent. Mm -hmm. But if you're selling to actually an end user, you get the engineering sign uh, lined up. If you have the right values that line up with theirs, things that are truly sound proactive and thoughtful and really lived out that definitely shows up. 
um, it's all about creating value for your customers. If you create value for your customers continuously, and the only way to do that is you have to have a culture that supports that. And the only way to do that is you then also have to value your people. Like you, no one's going to reflect that we care about the customer if they themselves feel like, but my company doesn't care about me. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't work. A human behavior that they, they may, they may read like a hostage note, you know, we care about our customers, but that's yeah. not going to be very convincing. Yeah. Uh, it has to come from a place of where you really create a, a sense that we're going to solve problems. We're always looking to see how we can be better. And if you, if you inculcate that in your entire team, every touch point, when they call for customer service, when they call accounting, when they call shipping and receiving, if they hear that coming through, you will stand out. And that's a, that's another way to create a competitive edge uh, in your space. Love it. Great advice to wrap the interview with. Jose, where can we connect with you? Sure. So I'm on LinkedIn. And to make it easy, you go to josepalomino.com and it'll route you to my LinkedIn profile. And of course, our company site is valueprop.com. That's V-A-L-U-E-P-R-O-P. Check us out there. Feel free to reach out. Even if you just want to have a preliminary conversation, always happy to talk to people in the space. I was really impressed to see you got valueprop.com. I'm like, damn, what I would give to have that website. That's a good one. So (laughs) (laughs) I will have links to everything you mentioned in the show notes page as well. So manufacturinghappyhour.com for everyone listening. And I just want to say, Jose, thanks so much for jumping on the show today. My pleasure. My pleasure. Absolutely. Cheers. Hey, thanks for listening. And of course, a big thank you to Jose for jumping on today's show. As always, you can find any of the resources we mentioned over at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 83, such as links to his website, his book, Value Proposition, his podcast, and of course, where to go get sushi should you find yourself in the Philly area. Before we wrap up, I do want to thank our sponsor this week, IME West. IME West is the premier manufacturing event taking place on the West Coast, April 12th through 14th, 2022. And whether you're in plastics, whether you're in med tech, whether you're in automation, well, IME West is one of the most multifaceted manufacturing shows out there. It's a great spot to network, great place to connect with suppliers. If you're thinking about attending, make sure to go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash IME West to look at registering today. As always, if you liked this episode, make sure to leave a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes, and it's super quick to leave a five-star rating and review from there. So with that, we'll keep the outro short this week. Thanks so much for sticking around. Stay innovative. Stay thirsty. We'll catch you again next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.